1: 35, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. I give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. the oh, Levine is out on the field. He's going to Four man Alabama rush. Got him. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh my gracious. Yep. how?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to The Three Technique, a college football podcast presented by Anchor. I am not Mitch Mason. I am your host, at least for the evening, Trey Reeves, and I'm joined by one-third of our crew, Garrett Turney. Mitch is out tonight dealing with some stuff in his apartment, but fear not. The show must go on. We are ready and excited to talk to you guys about maybe the second-best division in college football, the Big Ten East, Garrett I had a lot of fun putting these projections together. We're going to cover the teams that Mitch uh, was going to go over as well. But, man, this is a really exciting division. I'm really excited to get t- to
1: talk to with you guys about it. Um, how are we feeling tonight going into this episode? Oh, man, it is fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, I am really excited to talk about this division. It's always a really fun one. And we were talking a little bit beforehand. It's got a really interesting tier system to it. You know, it seems like there's clearly a distinct level to where these teams are going to finish and where these teams are going to be. But uh, yeah, going to be really fun to talk about always fun football up there. And it's kind of the land of a thousand trophies up there in the big 10. So excited to kind of chat about uh, how the season goes. Absolutely. On the trophies, especially when
0: we get into the big 10 West, I full disclosure, I can never keep track of all of those. I always have to Google which one is which, but oh yeah, no, on a sure. personal note, Garrett, the new setup is looking amazing. We moved Garrett into a new apartment this weekend and he has his own room for the podcast now so he uh doesn't have to worry about any interruptions or any uh a cat walking in anything like that (laughs) it looks great my friend and
1: I'm excited that
0: you have that set up
1: no yeah it's amazing it's uh we were sitting in the same just small one bedroom apartment when we started this podcast and so uh nice to get into a little bit of a bigger spot here uh get my own little setup in this one room so I don't have to worry about yeah like you were saying all the different distractions that could be there and hoping to mute my mic every couple of seconds to make sure that, you know, my dog isn't trying to eat food underneath me or something. It was a little interesting there for a while, but we are, we're hitting our prime. Well, and if you want to make
0: sure that Garrett can get out of um, an apartment and into a house, make sure that you follow (laughs) us on social media. um, At three tech pod on Twitter and Instagram. The engagement has been awesome. We've gotten some good conversations started about just the ACC previews and moving into the season. We're really excited. Um, And write in if you have any thoughts or opinions, 3techpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you're thinking as we're moving into the season. Uh, Let us know where we're right, where we're wrong, where we're really wrong about these teams that we're talking about. But without further ado, we are moving right along into our preview season. We're going to start talking with the Big Ten on the Big Ten East. Uh, Like I said at the top, it is without a doubt probably the second-best division in college football, top to bottom. Garrett, you kind of teased this a little bit. I think when you break down the tiers, this division is just absolutely fascinating to me. Obviously, we'll get to this in a second, but Ohio State will probably finish at the top. We'll talk about our projected finish, of course, at the end. But Ohio State looks to be the top dog. After that, the next three teams could finish in any order. I wouldn't be surprised by any of that. And then the bottom three teams that we necessarily project right now preseason could finish in any order and I wouldn't be surprised about any of those combinations so it's a fascinating division was there anything that stood out to you that surprised you as you were prepping for this episode
1: well I think the thing about the Big Ten normally is you expect it to be you know kind of a couple teams really vying for the spot but it really was surprising when we're doing the prep how many teams seem to have question marks except for Ohio State You know, it it sure seems like Ohio State is the best of the bunch. You know, Michigan had a great season last year, maybe taking a step back. Michigan State, same thing. You know, Penn State, you know, they definitely didn't live up to standards. They'll probably be better, but is it going to be good enough? So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to see just how far and away Ohio State seems to be better, uh, at at least on paper, than a lot of these teams as we go into the season. Yeah, so let's get right into it. Let's get started. Just like the
0: ACC, we're going to go through this Alphabetical order. So I'm gonna kick things off with the Indiana Hoosiers. And 2021 for the Hoosiers was a little bit of an unfamiliar territory. They had preseason expectations for the first time. Uh, they kind of had a breakthrough year in the COVID-shortened 2020 season. They finished second in division. The Big Ten kind of had to bend the rules to keep them out of that Big Ten title game. If you think back to uh the end of that 2020 <laughs> season, but back-to-back bowl games in 2019 and 2020 kind of had expectations probably at an all-time high up there in uh Hoosier land but it all came crashing down very quickly for them last year so they had 20 players suffer a season-ending injury uh 10 more missed at least five games they had four quarterbacks including a walk-on take significant action after the guy that was supposed to be maybe a dark horse Heisman candidate definitely a dark horse um ACC or big 10 player of the year candidate Michael Penix jr he goes down with an injury week five and the result was a two and ten campaign with an zero and nine record in the big 10 definitely not what they were expecting last year um the offense just completely sputtered they were 123rd nationally in scoring 127th in yards per play and the fallout from uh that season was massive turnover so this is a completely different team almost a completely different program. Uh, than we saw last year. So head coach Tom Allen, he did survive that. He has built up a lot of goodwill up there after those two seasons before that. But definitely some conversations were had that we have to change this up to make it more sustainable. 30 upperclassmen left the program, either graduated or transferred. Um, They brought 13 new players in from the portal, two new coordinators, five new assistants. And Tom Allen has retaken over defensive play calling. So he's decided, I need to retake the reins and have control over this defense that also really didn't look great last year. So now Allen has just kind of left open those changes and the culture that he's worked really hard to establish can lead to that breakthrough through maybe being delayed just one year, maybe being pushed back from 2021 to 2022. But as we kind of transition into the offensive talk, the hard truth is even with Penix, it really didn't look great on offense, uh, even before he went down for injury. Again, he went down week five against Penn State. Before that, they were two and two. They'd already lost to Cincinnati. And uh, Pennix um, TD to INT ratio was just four to seven. It was not oh, looking pretty. So Michael Pennix moves on to Washington. Uh, they bring in Connor Basilac from Mizzou, who is a guy that's looked really, really good. Um, Allen is considering this a competition, but Jack Tuttle and uh, Donovan McCulley kind of got their chance last year, I think. And I'm just kind of moving with the assumption in this preview that it will be Connor Basilac. That was a big name in the portal. I don't think he would be going there without the assumption that he has a leg up for that starting job. So and assuming it's Basilac, they're getting a guy that who was co-freshman of the year in the SEC in 2020. He's shown a lot of flashes of greatness, but uh interceptions and decision making with like with a lot of young quarterbacks, they've been his downfall so far. I think this more simplified offense in Indiana, it's kind of a make a read and get the ball out as quickly as you can. I think that could be a really long way for Basilak and just helping him blossom a little bit in year three of college football for him. So uh, the Hoosiers also, like I mentioned, 13 portal additions. They dipped into the portal for help at running back. They got a former four-star recruit, uh, an Auburn Tiger, Sean Shivers. And they also got Josh Henderson coming over from North Carolina, but a couple of talented guys that could, uh, split time is the lead back, and both should see a lot of action. Big losses for the Hoosiers were wide receiver Ty Freifogel and tight end Peyton Hindershoot. Both of those guys are on NFL rosters going into training camp. They had great careers in Bloomington. They're going to have to be replaced. Um, and guess what? They're going to go to the transfer portal to try to fix that. So Emory Simmons is coming over from North Carolina. And Cam Camper, this is a guy I'm really excited about. He's a local guy from Lancaster. And he averaged 18 yards per, per, 18 yards per reception at Trinity Valley Community College last fall. And that's a pretty good program they have over there in East Texas. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do playing the best of the best in the Big Ten. They also have a four-star freshman in Omar Cooper and DJ Matthews is coming back from a torn ACL. He's a guy they were really excited about last year coming over from Florida State. The offensive line, also has a ton of experience and should actually be the strength of the offense. So that's definitely going to help Basilac or I guess, whoever wins the job, wink, wink, uh, adjust and get a lot of good things going on offense. Luke Haggard and Matthew Bedford are going to man the tackle spots and they have a Michigan transfer and Zach Carpenter coming over that they're really excited about at center. Um, it could be really exciting if Basilak has a connection with these receivers. It's a lot of newness trying to come together. They also have a new offensive coordinator, like I mentioned. This is maybe the biggest question mark for me on offense. And that's not a good thing to say that your play caller is the biggest question mark. But Walt Bell, he comes over after being the head coach at UMass for three years. And, (laughs) you know, sure, UMass is not an easy place to win. But even as an offensive coordinator before that, he had stops at Florida State, at Maryland, and Arkansas State ever since he's left Arkansas state, he's kind of left a lot to be desired. Um, he was the youngest head coach in college football when he was at UMass and he's probably the most experienced 37 year old in college football, but (laughs) man, uh, rooting for him, but I, I just haven't seen it in the past. That's going to give me confidence to say that he's going to be a difference maker at that. So defensively, definitely a lot more experience in the play calling as, uh, Allen is taking over those head coaching duties. Um, and one thing that Allen loves to incorporate in his defense is a lot of pressure. So when they were successful in 2020, they sent five or more rushers on 42.4% of defensive snaps. They are wreaking havoc on defensive uh, or offensive units. They run an attacking 425 they They're blitzing guys from all over the field. And, That really didn't show last year. So last year, it can really only go up. They finished 109th in scoring defense, and that is why Allen is retaking control of this defense. So kind of going from back to front, the secondary is going to look like the strength of the team going in. They have a former All-American and Taiwan Mullen. He's back healthy. He was one of the many guys that had a season-ending injury last year. Jalen Williams has also been All-Big Ten. He struggled with injuries last year. And Devon Williams and Brian Fitzgerald are going to enter their fifth and sixth years at the safety spot. So they're bringing a ton of experience back there. Really excited to see that if they can make things difficult for the quarterbacks in this division that look really, really good on paper, they have a bowl position. That's kind of a hybrid defensive in outside linebacker, and they have a ton of talent there. Six year guy, Alfred Bryant, um, a transfer from UCLA and miles Jackson and the highest rated prospect Indiana has ever signed in Deshaun McCullough. And they're really excited to see him split some time there at that bull position. They want to bring him in on third downs to rush the passer. I'm excited to see that happen. They have a true two deep at uh, defensive tackle after they brought in some transfers and um, at the true linebacker spot. So not the guy that's kind of moving between a hybrid role. Uh, Michael McFadden has to be replaced. He was a guy that was just an anchor for that defense uh, for so many years and It looks like Cam Jones is going to be that guy. He's been described as the leader of the defense by Tom Allen, but just kind of overall, there's a lot of athleticism and experience. And the big question is, does Tom Allen retaking control of that defense? Does that matter? Does that move the needle? Does that um, make this to where they are more successful um, in situational pass rushing and making just big picture decisions on the strategy of the game? If those schemes can click, this defense could be, maybe the story of this division this year. Um, The biggest thing they could do is just take away one option, run or pass. They really weren't awful statistically at either last year. They were 60th in rush defense, 76th in the pass. Neither of those are like outlandish. They're not great by any means, but you can get by if one of those is in that range. But when both of them are in that range, Offenses just kind of get to do whatever they want. And so if they can just find an identity, maybe it's the secondary taking a lead and taking away the pass um, and figuring out rush defense as they go. Maybe it's the surprise of this division. I don't know. It could be a really strong defensive unit in uh, Bloomington. But their floor-ceiling situation, Vegas has set their over-under at right at four. Um, and until I see the changes on the field, I think... I have them right at four wins. Uh, they should start 3-0, and but after that, the schedule's just brutal, as is life for these kind of lower-tier teams in this division. Um, I think four is the floor, though. Um, if the, some of these things click, like basilac and receivers kind of develop a mind meld, the defense uh, improves drastically, like I said. I think making a bowl and maybe even getting as high as 7-5 and five is doable, but October is going to define this. I'll talk about their danger zone in just a second, but October has several winnable games for Indiana, and that's going to define their season. They go at Nebraska, Michigan, Maryland at home, and at Rutgers. If You can find a way to go three and one in that slate. If you're Indiana, I think you're feeling really, really good about that. But um, as all these teams are going to have, they will have a danger zone. danger zone. And it's right at the end in... Uh, for these guys. So, right after that stretch that I just talked about, they do have a bye week and then they close uh three out of their last four games. I'm sorry, week 10 at home against Penn State and then back to back trips to Ohio State and Michigan State. So, it's a little back loaded. If they want to reach bowl eligibility, I'm, I'm going to talk about this with a couple of teams today, but if they want to reach bowl eligibility, they got to do it early because the end of the schedule, they do face Purdue in a rivalry game the last week of the season, but end of the schedule is kind of brutal um so if they want to take that next step if they want to get to bowl eligibility get it done
1: early and then see what happens play with house money at the end yeah man that looks rough i mean i guess with their over under being four right i'm looking at this i'm saying i don't expect the defense to be exceptional right you know tom allen's taking the play calling that's fine I'm kind of looking at the offense as the big wild card here. You know, you have so many new players coming in. Obviously, Bazelight coming in is the big one, but you just have so many new players. I, I don't know what to expect, really. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking about how that all mixes together, and, you know, can those guys go, you know, like you were saying, in that danger zone, Penn State, add Ohio State, add Michigan State. Like, those are tough games on the road. Yeah, it's going to be the end of the season, but do you think it can click for that team I mean, obviously, you know, it's a lot of new guys coming in, but, you know, you get to the end of the season. Do you think it's going to click by then? Or do you think it's got to, you know, maybe sort of find its way and then start to just fall apart on the last half of the season? It's a good question. I think
0: looking at their full schedule, their toughest out-of-conference game is at Cincinnati. It's a return trip for the, what the Bearcats gave them last year. Yeah. I think the rest of the schedule is manageable if things click and so maybe you know if they found their stride by the time that they're going into that bye week before Penn State then yeah I mean they could be a surprise team and I don't think that I would pick them in any of those three games that I lined out in that danger zone at least in preseason but at that point especially if they're already close to bowl eligibility or or flirting with a bowl game you know That's that extra motivation that could put them over the hump, maybe stealing one of those games. I mean, Michigan State, we'll talk about them in a second, but that could be a spot where they're looking ahead to a Penn State team. I can't remember. I think it's also the week after they play Michigan. I can't remember if I have that right from memory, but it's definitely the week before they play Penn State, so maybe they catch them sleeping a little bit and steal a game there. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily your goal if you're Indiana this year to compete with the very top of the division take care of business against the fellow preseason bottom dwellers take care of business in your non-conference games and see what happens from there um the crossover games from the other division are nebraska illinois and the rivalry game with purdue two and one is not outlandish in those i think you can opening the season against illinois should be a very interesting game it should be very telling who knows what Nebraska is going to be this year. Um, that's a road environment. That'll be tough and produce a rivalry game. So anything can happen. So I don't know. I, I want to be cautiously optimistic. I think they have pieces that could work together, but it also, um, if those pieces don't mesh, it could get really ugly, really quickly.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think you nailed them right there at four wins. I, I think that that's pretty on the nose. I've got them at four wins as well. I just, Yeah. I'm not seeing it for this team this year. There's so many different pieces. I just think the defense is going to let them down in the end. I don't know. I think a lot of times you think, well, how good can the offense get? How good can the defense get? We're going to talk about that with a few of these teams. But, you know, it comes down to is the defense going to be able to play well enough to keep them competitive? I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, well. From Indiana to the East Coast, a team that I
0: sometimes struggle to remember is in the Big Ten, uh, even though they've been there for a while now. Uh, Mitch did some amazing research on the Maryland Terrapins, and Garrett is going to take you through that team.
1: Yeah. uh, So if you don't agree with it, complain to Mitch. Um, No, but if you're looking at Maryland, uh, it's really just time to take the next step, right? Uh, Mike Locksley secures his first winning season of the program since 2014. Very good finished seven and six with the blowout win over Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl. Fantastic, right? Um, you know, Mitch notes that the Turfs are one of his favorite brands to watch. I kind of agree. I think that you know, especially with Loxley bringing some of that Alabama success in, I think it's a lot of fun to watch this team. Uh, but you know, this team is very highs and lows, right? Highs, you know, beating West Virginia in a thriller to open the season, plays the best defense down the stretch, wins three straight to to close it out. The lows are obviously, you know, just getting blown out by the bigger teams. You know, your Iowa's, Ohio State's, Michigan State, Michigan, um, you know, you're getting blown out by these guys. If you're losing to the big four by an average of 25 points per game like they are, uh, it's not a fun time, right? This program is 19 and 47 since joining the Big Ten, Uh, not the place you want to be. Still, it's a talented program. It's recruited fairly well, um, and they do have a bunch of returners. So let's kind of go through that on offense Um, we're hoping that they stay healthy, right? You have Talia Takavailoa. He's the third highest rated passer in the Big Ten last year. Um, Despite some pretty big lows against Iowa, he now holds the school record for passing yards in a season, completions, and completion percentage. Uh, You look out wide, the Terps are pretty talented, uh, you have Rakeem Jarrett putting up 62 catches for 829 and five touchdowns last season. They also get Dante Demas back after a brutal knee injury in that, in, in that uh, Iowa game as well. Uh, they also bring in Florida transfer Jacob Copeland. He led the Gators in receptions, yards, and touchdowns last season. So that's a pretty big pickup uh, if you're looking at uh, Maryland here, getting one of the better receivers in the SEC there. Uh, the offensive line is very experienced, right? They have 40 combined starts on the left side of this line. Uh, You have a sixth-year center in Jahari Branch, and the new starters are competing for right guard and uh, right tackle, so at least the one side of your line is locked down. Kind of gives them a little bit of leeway uh, to figure things out on that side. Uh, Loxley actually mentioned that the offensive line is probably the most improved part of their team in his three years since taking over as the coach. So uh, things certainly looking okay on offense. Uh, The defense looks like it's going to take a nice step forward, um after they haul in a fantastic recruiting class it includes five-star linebacker terrence lewis high four-star edges chop robinson brandon jennings and all three of those guys are already gone from the program (laughs) the defensive line is still relatively strong with multiple veterans returning up front but losing lewis and jennings especially hurts the formula that maryland had developed Uh, The Terps got after the passer a decent amount in 2021. They did pressure him a a fair amount, but they tend to get stonewalled against elite teams in the big 10. They don't get after it quite as well uh, when they go up against the best of the best. Uh, The linebackers are mostly up for grabs, but Ruben Hippolyte will lead that group of upperclassmen. They've got two new freshmen who came in during spring ball, who are going to try to earn snaps. Uh, It's Jay Sean Barham and Caleb Wheatland are both highly rated at a high school uh, when you look at the secondary, the starting slots are undecided, but Jakorian Bennett and Tarheeb still are back after 1,500 combined snaps last year. Uh, they're one of the best units in defending the pass. They didn't force enough turnovers, uh, didn't quite uh, get enough interceptions, so they're going to have to figure out that part of it if they want to take that next step as well. Um, They're also going to have to replace both safeties as well. So you might think they're susceptible on the back end or against the big play. Definitely not what you want going up against teams like Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, They're over under right now. You're looking at six. Uh, We're thinking maybe under if you have to go one way or the other. Six and six is probably right about right. I have them at six and six. Uh, That's as far as you can really get with them. You know, maybe they beat SMU, get up to 7-5. and five. They, they could pull a big upset. You know, they certainly have the talent and, and have maybe a puncher's chance to pull that off. Uh, but it's really hard to get them past 7-5. and five. The floor probably is 4-8 and eight with a loss to Purdue on that schedule, uh, and that would certainly be disappointing uh, if you're talking about what Maryland's expectations would be for this program. Uh, if you're looking at the danger zone... Uh, it again is towards the end of the season. You're looking at week 10 at Wisconsin, week 11 at Penn State, and then week 12, you get to come home, but you're playing the Buckeyes. So that's a pretty rough stretch for anybody. That's about as rough of a three-game stretch as you're going to find anywhere in the country.
0: Yeah, these that was one thing that I just noticed going through several of these team schedules is the schedule makers did some of these teams no favors getting the powers of the divisions back-to-back. And sometimes you can't help that. But man, that, I mean, Maryland is just another example of that. This is just a team that I feel like needs to show me something. If I'm going to buy all the way in before I'm willing to say they're more than just a fringe bowl team where one game or one possession even could swing them from making a bowl or not making a bowl. That was definitely how they were last year. They just got to show me a little bit more consistency. Um, I was so ready to buy into the Terps last year. I was on the hype train, and then they get blown out, just not even competitive in back-to-back weeks against Iowa and Ohio State, and then lose to Minnesota as well on the road. So, yeah, I just I just want to see some more consistency. But, I mean, at some point, the recruiting has to take over, right? They have a lot of talent, so is could this be a year where talent just finally starts to move them up the echelon a little bit in this division? Or have the other teams just out-recruited them so much that that doesn't matter?
1: I mean, you would certainly hope so, right? I mean, you have some transfers out, right? You, you still have plenty of talent, though. You know, you have plenty of talent on campus. I think you're kind of hitting on it. They're they're plenty fine. They're just not really showing you anything special. And In a division where you have so many really good teams who have been recruiting at a high level for a long time, bringing in good uh, players, you know, they've built good facilities, and they're competing to try to get over the hump of Ohio State, I just don't think Maryland's quite there yet. You know, it, it seems like maybe they're going to have a better chance to stay competitive in some of these games. You know, like we said, losing by 25 points per game to some of these big teams, you don't want to be there. Um, but, you know, getting up over the hump of that, maybe keeping it a little bit more competitive, getting to the point where maybe it's getting to be, you know, a one-score, two-score game as opposed to getting blown out in those. You know, you want to see some kind of progress. It may not show up in the wins-losses, but you want to see some progress there.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean... Great gut check game week three, right? They You've mentioned it a couple of times, but they play SMU, they host the Ponies. And I'm really excited for that game because I think it's going to tell us a lot about both of those teams. That's Maryland's a team that I'm not as high on, but if they can knock off SMU, a team that I think could be a sleeper in the American, that's a really good sign. And that should give them a lot of confidence moving forward, especially since they play, it looks like they play the Michigan schools back to back right after that. So... Yeah, I mean, got to build some momentum, got to be going into the conference slate with a little bit of momentum. That's always huge and see what happens, right? I mean, I think you could say that about any of the three teams that we're kind of pegging at the bottom of the division. Um, Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, just build some momentum, build some positive movement and see what happens. You might knock off a team or two, you might catch a team on a bad day and you have enough talent on your roster that you any given Saturday, right? You can yep. catch somebody on a bad day and you can maybe take it. Any other thoughts on
1: uh, Maryland before we move on? No, I mean, I think the big thing here is just, you got to be able to start strong. Kind of like we were saying with uh, Indiana, you know, you want to start strong. You want to get as many wins as you can towards the beginning of the season. Cause yeah, this last half of the schedule looks pretty brutal. Yeah, absolutely. So, From the bottom of the division to the team
0: that won the division a season ago, you guys will hear uh, pretty soon Garrett is going to have a special bonus episode about the Michigan Wolverines with a good friend of the show and a Michigan super friend. But uh, just Garrett, take us through really quickly um, just what we can expect from the Wolverines this year.
1: Yeah, so uh, man, last year was a heck of a ride for the Michigan faithful. They handled Ohio State at home. They stomped Iowa. They claimed a Big Ten title. They make their first college football appearance or the college football playoff appearance. It's just a fantastic season. And, you know, like you just talked about, I did my interview with a Michigan fan and uh, we broke down how the year went. It'll be coming out soon. But the gist of it, spoiler alert, is that last year was phenomenal. Harbaugh bought a lot of good grace. His seed is substantially cooler than it was going into last season Uh, And the expectations remain high for a team that is just sort of seeming to get things going in this Harbaugh era. Uh, There are some big questions on replacing some key pieces to last year's team, but there should be plenty of reasons for excitement when it comes to Michigan fans. Uh, So to kind of take you through it real quick, offense, the script for this year's team should flip. Last year, you know, they're really relying heavily on that defense. This year, I think it's going to be the offense. Uh, this offense is going to be the key to them repeating as Big Ten champions. They're losing Hassan Haskins. He was a machine on the ground. Uh, they're going to have a really tall task replacing him. He had thirteen twenty-seven last year, 20 touchdowns, and in 452 carries as a Wolverine, he did not fumble the football one time. That's about as good as it gets. Uh, (laughs) They will lean on Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards to replace that production. And they're not necessarily as physically imposing as Haskins, but they are quicker and that might end up producing some more explosive plays. Uh, They also lose their star center, Andrew Vistardis, and right tackle Andrew Stuber. Uh, But if they can replace those guys, kind of plug those holes on the line, they'll return three starters that should help them stay dominant on the ground. They finished eighth in total rushing last year. Getting close to that number, even if they can't quite get back to eighth, getting close to that is going to be huge for them if they want to repeat. Where this offense should take a giant leap forward is in the passing game. The bringing back Cade McNamara, he was very solid for Michigan last year. He made really good decisions, completed 64% of his passes, 2,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, only six interceptions. He's got plenty of leadership and experience at the most important position in college football, Uh, But on the other hand, if J.J. McCarthy can prove that he's the real deal and that he's ready to compete with the big boys, you know, you could see him jump McNamara and provide a little bit more big playability, especially as a runner. It may not quite be his time, but that quarterback battle in Ann Arbor is going to be interesting to watch going into football season. Whoever wins that battle, though, is going to have plenty of options for where to go with the football. The pass catchers are going to be headlined by Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, Andre Anthony, and they're returning Ronnie Bell, who tore his ACL last year, but will probably be one of the best in the Big Ten if he can stay healthy this year. Plenty of talent on offense, and I think Michigan's going to end up throwing the ball a lot more this year than they did, and it'll turn into a pretty potent offense. The defense is where you expect them to take a bit of a step back. Any year that you're replacing a defensive Heisman finalist and a, set, a number two <laughs> overall draft pick, you're going to expect to take a step backwards, right? Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, he's a remarkable talent, but when you factor in the fact that Michigan also loses six other starters and their defensive coordinator, they know they have a lot to prove. Uh, they started by hiring Jesse Mentor. He spent one year as the DC at Vanderbilt after working in the NFL with the Ravens for a little while. Uh, the talent gap he has to work with in Ann Arbor should allow him to get better results than he did at Vandy. Sorry, Vandy fans. Don't mean to offend anybody out there. Mozzie um, Smith is returning to line up on the interior, and his ability to stand his ground, kind of throw guys around, make plays the line of scrimmage, you can start to kind of think about replacing the defensive line production with him. Uh, Mike Morris is coming off the edge this year. He hopes to be just as disruptive as the guys last year that got drafted. Uh, they're also going to be looking to Taylor Upshaw and Jalen Harold to do the same thing. And they're going to need some pass rush and tackles for loss from the linebacker spot. Uh, they have some pretty talented young guys, Junior Coulson, Nakai Greenhill. These guys will need to make an adjustment to rushing the passer a little bit more this year. They had limited looks last year, but only mastered half a sack uh, between the two of them. Um, they are losing some valued starters on the back end, but they're doing a good job sort of rotating guys these last couple years in the secondary. So they bring Back plenty of playing experience. Uh, DJ Turner was about as lights out as as you can get in coverage last year, and they're bringing back several safety options on the back end, so they should be really, really good in coverage. They're just going to kind of need to figure out a way to, number one, rush the passer, like I was saying, and number two, they need to create more turnovers as a group. Um, They only brought down eight interceptions last year. That was good for 93rd in the FBS. They're going to need some more turnovers because they want to get the ball in the hands of their offense and give them as many chances to score as possible. Uh, they're over under right now is nine and a half. Give me the over for the Wolverines this year. I think 10 and two is the most likely outcome with them dropping the game at Ohio state and maybe one of, you know, Iowa and Sparty. They do go to play Iowa. Um, and so that could be a little bit of an issue. Uh, but I think this is one of the few teams with true 12 and 0 potential. If they can play around the same level of defense as they did last year, you know, they'll take a step back, but, but if they can play sort of in that same area, um, I think they can get to that point with the jump on offense. Uh, but look, if they can't get back to that, if they, you know, maybe take a big regression on defense and they don't quite figure it out, they could go maybe about nine and three, I think is probably low end for them. i um, thinking about the danger, zone, the danger zone. You're looking at week seven and week eight. They have home matchups, uh, but they're playing Penn State and Michigan State. That's pretty tough. Um, obviously you'd rather play those games at home fortunately they do Um, and it's still just a couple of tough teams and then they do close the season at the shoe that's always a tough place to win they haven't won in Columbus since 2000 so a little bit of a difficult thing for them to try to get over there Uh, yes they beat them last year but that was at home so uh, yeah interesting year for the Wolverines but I think they're going to be pretty good this year.
0: It is an interesting year, and the vibes are definitely immaculate. I'd even go as far to say there's maybe a little hype train in Ann Arbor. Oh, had to get yeah, that one in there. We Let's haven't go. we haven't gotten in there yet, so we had to get <laughs> that one in there. Um, interesting thing for me, Garrett. This is maybe the weakest non-conference schedule I have ever seen from a power yeah, five team, yeah. like shades of Art Baylor under Art Bryles. No offense, Baylor fans. <laughs> look at your schedules in the early 2010s. They were hashtag not great. Um, <laughs> so they opened the season with Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn. All at home, none of those teams are going to cause you to shake in your boots, Garrett. Um, nope. That is a really strong way. If you're looking just from an over-under perspective, if you're looking on which way to bet on that at nine and a half, 3 gimmies is really really strong moving towards mm-hmm. that over. Now, of course, in this division the conference slate's going to be brutal like we've talked about with all these other teams. You're absolutely right to identify that Penn State and Michigan State home game pairing. Find a way to go one and one and you're still alive in the division. If you drop both of those, you're all of a sudden out of the division race in October and who knows what happens with a group of college kids that are struggling to find out if they have something to play for anymore. But other than Ohio state, that schedule is pretty manageable. Um, Ohio state is their only, I, I was a tough road game too, but Ohio state is definitely their toughest road game. It's of course the last game of the year. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of a little bit lower on Michigan. I do think they take a step back, but if they can find things to click and if they can get over that hump literally right in the middle of the season, then who knows? Sky's maybe the
1: limit again. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I have them at 11-1. and 1. I, I think they take a step back, but I also think they're so far ahead of where everybody else is right now that the step back does put them in the second tier, but it puts them firmly at the top of it. I think, you know, Michigan State, you play them at home. It was a really tough game last year. Um, And we kind of talked about that in the special episode we did, but it was really rough conditions if you remember and a controversial call in that one that, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, you take it one way or the other and Michigan would have been uh, undefeated going into that uh, playoff game. So, you know, maybe some things change a little bit if they're, I don't know, the number one seed instead of the number two seed. But um, you know, you look at this, you're, you're thinking, you know, you're, at Michigan, or yeah, you play Michigan State at home. You you know you go to Iowa, but they stomped them last year. So I just don't see a whole lot of losses on the schedule. I do think they probably lose to Ohio State in the shoe, but I think that's going to be like a like a last minute who holds the ball last type of game. I think it's going to be real close and it'll be a real fun one, like a must watch. Two top five teams probably, uh, and I think it's going to be a real fun one to watch.
0: Goodness, can you imagine? Two eleven o teams meeting the last week of the year in Columbus, man, shades of two thousand six when they were both going in there. Mm-hmm. I think ranked one and two. They will definitely be ranked one and two because those programs carry that kind of weight. Um, oh yeah, I think you. I I know you know you talked about the you talked about the game last year. Might be overlooking Michigan State just a little bit, if 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 you're asking me. It, it's a team that they haven't beaten since 2019. Mel Tucker has had a lot of success against the Wolverines. That's a big hump that they need to get over, like bad mm-hmm. calls or not, right? I think Michigan right. friends would tell you the same thing. The only game they lost in the regular season was to the school that they think is a little brother, right? Yeah. So, bad weather, well, think-
1: bad calls, absolutely, but it's a hump that they've got to get over. The biggest thing that I think helps them here is number one, you're at home, but number yeah. two, they just lost their star player in Kenneth Walker. You know that that guy. I think what he scored like four or five touchdowns in that game. He's a monster in that game. He, he was a, just a beast in that game. If your running back goes for three touchdowns in that game in your Michigan State, you're still fourteen points behind, right? Like you're, yeah. you have a lot of points to cover in that game. You got to find a lot of points there. I think Michigan State is going to be a very good team this year. I'm just not ready to say that they can go to Ann Arbor without Kenneth Walker and beat this offense that I think is going to be very good in the Michigan Wolverines.
0: Well, speaking of the Spartans, a little segue here. We're professionals on this show, and (laughs) we are going to find a segue. See how we did that? Let's talk about the Spartans. Let's (laughs) dive a little bit deeper into Michigan State, just right up the road in East Lansing. Of course, 2021 was huge in more ways than once for the Spartans. They broke through on an 11-2 campaign. They won a New Year's Six Bowl over Pitt. They continued their run of success over rival Michigan that I just talked about. And maybe most notably and most shockingly, they locked down Mel Tucker on a 10-year, $95 million extension. I I think the college football world was shocked by that figure. But Michigan State feels like they've got their guy. And they didn't want to lose him. And obviously, that's a program that's been through that situation before. They felt like Nick Saban was their guy way back in the day in the 90s. And an SEC team comes and scoops him up. So maybe a little bit of uh, PTSD from that situation. But they locked down Mel Tucker. They've committed to their guy. And Tucker seems to do a lot of things really well. He's been really good at managing the transfer portal. He's been really, really good at recruiting. He's gone down into the South, into Georgia especially, and used his ties down there to get a lot of talented recruits and done a lot of good scouting on those guys down there to maybe get some guys that the big boys down in the South have overlooked. In-game decisions, I don't think you can question him on pretty much anything. Maybe a Spartans fan that's watched it a little bit more closely can tell me that he's done some things wrong. But the big red flag for that. 2021 was his first ever winning season as a head coach. 2022 is the year that he has to prove that Sparty committing to him was the right decision. That doesn't necessarily have to be another 10 and two or better season, but that momentum train, it needs to keep on moving. It needs to keep moving in the right direction. And they need to show Mel Tucker needs to show that that was a worthwhile decision. Now, the early returns on the recruiting trail have been amazing. The investment in the program has gone beyond the head coaching salary. There's, He has one of the highest assistant salary pools in the nation, which is super key to getting a good recruiting staff together. They have facility upgrades coming. Their recruiting has been good. Their NIL commitment has looked really, really good. The big question now is, will it be enough to jump into the top of this division that is just brutal and beats each other up towards the top? So. Peyton Thorne bust onto the scene in 2021. He broke Michigan State's passing touchdown record with 27. The coaching staff is buzzing about his improvement in the offseason. He looked really, really good at times. And uh, Thorne is definitely talented, and he's maybe even the third best quarterback in the Big Ten. Um, I haven't taken the time to really rank those out, but just off the top of my head, maybe C.J. Stroud, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, and I think Peyton Thorne is right in that conversation for number three. Big question is Can you have an encore performance without Ken Walker III? That, like we were talking about when we talked about the Michigan Michigan State game, he's the guy who makes their offense go. And he won the Dope Walker Award, of course, as the best running back in 2021. But it wasn't just the running game that Ken Walker impacted. Thorne threw 12 touchdowns, 12 of his 27 touchdowns came on play action. So that strong running game is going to go even further is his offensive success than just moving the chain. So they've got to find someone to replace Ken Walker for more than just a running game. It's, it's going to affect the passing game as well with screens, check downs, play action, all that good stuff. So they address that in the portal, 2020 PAC 12, uh, offensive player of the year, Jarek Broussard. He's coming over from Colorado, a guy that, uh, Mel Tucker, I believe recruited or the timelines definitely overlap there. Um, He's also joined by a Wisconsin transfer and former blue chip prospect Jalen Berger. So that should be a really solid one, two punch. It's going to be impossible to completely replace Ken Walker, but that's going to be a really good one, two punch for the Spartans. Uh, Thorne's top receiver, Jaden Reed. He returns. He had a 59 receptions over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns at the wide receiver spot. He's going to be joined by Trey Mosley and Keon Coleman, who. Is an amazing athlete that also plays basketball for the Spartans. So, a guy that I'm really excited to see. But maybe the guy that I'm most excited to see if he can break out on this offense is tight end Malik Carr. So, he's a sophomore. He's a converted wide receiver at six foot five, 245 pounds. And he's just an absolute freak athlete who's going to try to replace Connor Hayward's production from last year. If he's not quite ready, they did kind of get an insurance policy in Daniel Baker who comes over from Illinois he was a really talented tight end for the Illini and so if uh if Carr's not quite ready then Daniel Baker will definitely slide in and fill that gap so the big red flag on offense is Sparty only returns 33% of their offensive line starts from last year so Probably the biggest cause for concern on offense, uh, J.D. Duplain is going to be the only guy that started every game last year. Building a starting five shouldn't be too much of a problem up front, but the depth is kind of scary. I thought they would maybe dip into the portal a little bit more, supplement that O-line. They did have a couple of additions. They have some recruits, obviously, but depth on the offensive line is definitely, could be this team's downfall, if anything, on offense. So over on the defensive side of the ball, Sparty's defense looked really, really good um, in the beginning of last year. They uh, aver- they averaged giving up only 18 points a game in September. By November, in the month of November and in their bowl game, adding that in, they allowed 36 points per game and 47% on third down conversions. So, cats tip to Colton Pouncy at the Athletic on that one. They faded down the stretch. It was the strength of the team at the beginning, but by the end of the year, they could not rely on their defense to perform consistently. The big strength was a top 15 run defense. They allowed just 3.39 yards per carry. That should still be really stout this year with a deep rotation of talented defensive tackles led by Jacob Slade and uh, Simeon Barrow. They need to improve on the pass stretch. though. that's going to greatly help their pass defense that finished dead last in the FPS la- FBS last year in yards per game. Um, Their pass rush last year, it was more quantity than uh, quality. They looked good. Uh, If you just look at the total sacks number, they were actually pretty high up, but that's because there were so many dropbacks that they faced. So teams knew that the pass defense was suspect. There were a lot of opportunities to get those sacks. So that kind of led to more of a total number. If you look at the sack rate, it was mediocre at best. So they're going to have to find a better pass rush that gets to the quarterback more consistently. Linebacker looks solid with Cal Halliday returning after 91 tackles. They also brought in a transfer from UNLB, Jacoby Windman, who was maybe the best linebacker in the Mountain West last year with 118 tackles with the Rebels. Uh, He looks like he's going to start right away, and like I mentioned, it was just an absolute porous pass defense. Uh, Defensive back is the biggest concern, which is kind of surprising considering Mel Tucker has uh, his roots there as a defensive back coach, but... Once again, they turned to the portal. They got a guy that started uh, three games for the national champs in Georgia last year, and he maybe has an all-NCAA name team member in Amir Speed. Um, He could be (laughs) a great plug-and-play guy in that defensive backfield at cornerback. Chester Kimbrough has also moved from quarterback over to nickel, and that should give them just overall, having a guy that specializes in coverage moving to nickel, I think will give them more flexibility and more ability to cover more guys especially when a team like Ohio State throws four five star receivers at you in a formation got to have guys that can cover so moving a former corner over to nickel looks like a good move to me um Xavier Henderson and Angelo Gore will once again anchor the safety spots and they're iron men on the field but I think one of the problems was they were playing a bit too much so if you look at the snap count leads they were up there in the top 10 in the NCAA in snap counts on defense They were just getting tired. And when they got tired, they got burned, and that was not good for team success. So we have to have more depth at the safety position if we're Michigan State. So kind of moving into their floor and ceiling, it was a really interesting line for me. So obviously they come off the 11-2 campaign. Their Vegas over-under is all the way down at 7.5. And this is really interesting to me because I just find myself going back and forth on that. And you wouldn't think that on a team that returns their starting quarterback returns a lot of production from an 11 win season, but dive just a little bit deeper into that 11 win season. I they went four and zero in one possession games last year. They had Nebraska, Indiana, Michigan, and Penn State were all one possession games. They swept those year over year. That's usually an indicator that you can look at and see if a team's going to progress or regress. Usually that regresses to the mean if you go four and zero or um, gets up to the mean if you lose all of those games. See Nebraska last year. Um, but can that luck continue? They were really lucky to get out of that uh, stretch unscathed. You have to think that even out evens out a little bit. They have a tough schedule with crossover games against Minnesota and Wisconsin. Those are the teams that I have at the very top of the West. I think their ceiling uh, is definitely repeating last year's breakthrough. Like If everything clicks, if they get everything... They find a guy, they find production that can replace Ken Walker. They look scary on the run game again. They fix the defensive back, the pass defense. They could definitely have another season where they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl and challenging for the division, but their floor could legit be six and six. The first time I mapped it out, I think I was a little harsh on them, but I came up at six and six and I had to say, (laughs) okay, I got to rethink this. They could maybe slip up to Maryland or Illinois. Their conference schedule is extremely front-loaded so like i was talking about with uh michigan i believe if you drop a couple early these are college kids we're talking about and if they don't have something to play for it could spiral really quickly even if you have the best culture possible so it's really front-loaded and if they don't get through that with a decent record i'm a little nervous about what the back end looks like so just speaking on that their danger zone Uh, weeks five through nine, including a bye week. So week five, they have they're at Maryland, but that precedes um, a home game against Ohio State. So I'm a little concerned about a look ahead spot there. If you're overlooking the Terps in week five, they definitely have the talent to jump up and get you. Um, week six against Ohio State. Week seven back home against Wisconsin, and then they have a bye week and go to Ann Arbor to face Michigan. Um you got to think you got to go at least two and two there, right? Like that, if you want to consider it a successful season, two and two at least is a must, and you're probably hoping for at least three and one. Um, But yeah, it's kind of a make or break year. Not a make or break. Obviously, they've committed to him for a long time, but it's definitely a year where Mel Tucker can set the naysayers aside on his contract and kind of show that Sparty committing to him was the right decision long term.
1: Yeah, no, I kind of think about this in terms of, you know, like you were saying earlier with Indiana, they've gone to the portal a lot, and it seems like it's going to be all about sort of how they deal with the portal, how they can replace some of those guys, and I think replacing Kenneth Walker is the entire equation here. I mean, look, Kenneth Walker was so good that he could basically carry your entire offense. If you replace him well, and it seems like they've gone out and gotten guys that they like, but if you can replace him well, I think you're going to end up having another really good season. It's just kind of about how well they can replace a guy who goes as high as he did in the draft. You know, I, I'm I'm just I'm not sure I'm ready to go there, especially with the back end the way that it is, and the fact that they're going to need to play a little bit more ball control against some very potent offenses, especially in that stretch you were talking about. I mean, Maryland they can certainly score. Ohio State's going to blow it up this year. Wisconsin it's going to be really hard to stop them from running the ball. Um, and that obviously sets up play action and then Michigan, like I just said, I think they're going to be really, really good on offense. So, you know, is, is their team going to be able to kind of play enough ball control to stop the other teams? I'm not sure I'm ready to go there. I I put them at nine and three, I think in our conference predictions, but that had a lot more to do with, uh, wait, no, I put them at 10 and two, but I think that has a lot more to do with the rest of the conference, um, as opposed to um kind of what i think um they are bringing back you know i think again we kind of talked about it being in different tiers i i think their division is pretty weak and i think they're going to have some success there i just don't think they're going to get over the top of michigan uh or ohio state the bottom half of the division is weak right bottom half yeah sorry yeah yeah who do you remember do you remember who you have them losing to in the 10 and 2 I believe I just have them losing to Ohio State and Michigan. I just I, okay. I think I think they're gonna be a good squad. I really do. Um I just I think for me, I look at sort of star players and star ability if you don't have maybe the the solid all the way across the board team. And I don't think that they're solid all the way across the board. They have some good pieces, um, but I think there's enough question marks with this team that gives me enough reason to kind of pause and say, okay, let me wait on this. Who are their stars, right? Who are gonna be the guys that kind of make them play better than they really are? I don't see a lot of stars on this. I mean, obviously you're talking Jared Broussard could be very good, but I just I don't see the stars the same way last year I saw Kenneth Walker, right, making that work. So I don't know. I'm just I'm not I'm not ready to say that they're gonna be, you know, as good as they were last year, but I think they're gonna be really, really good Um, And I think this is going to solidify the fact that uh, retaining their coach for as long as they're retaining him was a really good decision. 10 and two this year, I think would
0: be a better team than 10 and two last year. Um, Just looking at their schedule, 10 and two with losses to Ohio state and Michigan would mean they swept Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn state. And of course the rest of their big 10 schedule, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Penn state, that could legit be three top 20 wins. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find myself being just a little bit cautious. Last year felt really magical for Michigan State, and maybe oh, Michigan was. State... It, but Mel Tucker was a portal wizard last year. Of course, Ken Walker, the guy that we keep talking about, came out of the portal. And just so many of those games were close, and then obviously they dropped the random game to Purdue. Purdue was a world beater last year in some of those games. And then... <laughs> Man, they just left a really bad taste in your mouth when they go to Columbus and just aren't competitive at all and obviously, nah, Ohio state is bit. really, really good, but fifty six to seven is i don't know like it, it it that just leaves a rough taste in my mouth, and it leaves me wondering, can they repeat that magic this year and do it all over again? I'm not so sure I'm cautiously optimistic with my projection. I think I have them going nine and three is what I finally settled on, but like I said, I could see that as low as six and six if the, the mm-hmm. things just don't fire on all cylinders. And that's not a knock on Mel Tucker. He's still building that program and he's still going to have recruiting success. And it's probably going to have staying power
1: even if they go six and six. Right. Well, and you're right about that. If it doesn't click, it sure could get ugly in a second because there are some really good teams that they have to play this year. I I think it will turn out okay for them. I, I, I'm i I'm just, I don't think I'm ready for them to take that next step. You know, when you you're talking about the Ohio State blowout, You know, teams that get blown out like that, that shows the separation in the programs, right? They're not where Ohio State is. They're just not. Um, And that has a lot to do with roster. I think that has a lot to do with culture as well. It's not to say that Mel Tucker is not building a good culture, but you need some consistency with that. And bringing in this many transfers, it's hard to instill that kind of culture when you have that many portal guys. Not impossible by any means, but certainly more difficult to get those guys on board with what you're doing. Um, and so, you know, I, I think they're going to be good. I think that they have enough of a, uh, talent gap and enough of a, what is it? Enough of a, uh, coaching advantage, I think, in a lot of this to get over some of these teams, but I just, I don't think that I'm ready for them to take that next step and reach where Michigan and Ohio state are in that division.
0: Well, speaking of Ohio state, let's move on down the list and go to the team that is the big, bad boogeyman in this division, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, to me, and again, this Mitch had the scouting report on this one, hat tip to him, but spoiler alert to an episode we're going to do closer to the season. If I had to make my national champion pick right now, I think I'm leaning Ohio State. So wow. just kind of the quick state of the program, I can defend that in a little bit, but <laughs> despite falling short of the program goals last year, they had their first loss to Michigan since 2011, obviously. Uh, Ohio State's primed and ready to get right back where they want to be in 2022. So there's not much doubt about who the, that they're the alpha. Um, Ryan Day, of course, hasn't gotten that ultimate goal yet of a national championship, but that foundation is still very much in place. They're recruiting at a historic place. The Ohio State University is definitely wide receiver U. Um, <laughs> they poached uh, Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, And CJ Stroud is back once again to lead an offense that's going to be just downright scary. Just literally pick your poison. Mm -hmm. And defense might be a little bit of the question mark, but when you're putting up 50 or 60 points a week, um, (laughs) it might not matter. Your defense might lose you a game and you still could blow everyone else out. So on offense, of course, CJ Stroud had a monster year in 2021. He was the second most efficient passer in the country. And he ranked top five nationally in yards, yards per attempt, yards per game, touchdowns. He was really, really good. We could say a lot about how good he was, but bottom line, he's a Heisman contender last year. He will be once again this year, barring something crazy happening. And I think he's probably your co-favorite with Bryce Young at this point. Um, He's got to get a little bit more accurate, but he's of course got arm talent. He's got athleticism. He's going to be a future first round pick and he's throwing to a bunch of future first-round wide receivers. So it looks different. Obviously, they lose Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. are going to replace those guys really, really easily, I think. Uh, They also have former five-star Julian Fleming, um, and the passing attack is going to just continue its dominance. There's really not much more to be said. Um, They're also incredibly stacked at running back, stacked on the offensive line. When you get your pick at cream of the crop recruits. It's going to look like this, right? You, especially at the wide receiver position with Brian Hartline, just wrecking shop and taking names. It's going to be really, really hard for me to see them struggling on offense. And if you're an Ohio state fan listening to this, and you're wondering why we're not going as in depth as the other teams, it's because you don't have any question marks on offense, you're, <laughs> you're going to look really, really good. You're going to look really scary. And There's only so much we can say about that. We've joked throughout the offseason about how maybe we should be talking about Ohio State more, but they're just no drama, no BS. They're just putting their head down, getting things done, and being amazing on the offensive side of the ball. So On the defensive side, their own players admitted that uh, Ohio State's defense felt like opponents already kind of knew what they wanted to do last season. That's the big reason why Jim Knowles is uh, in charge in Columbus now. I loved watching Jim Knoll's defenses at Oklahoma State. He was just tearing up the Big 12, a conference that is getting a little bit more defensive but still is definitely not known for its defense. Um, he's known for blitzes, his uh, disguising coverages, very aggressive play calling. His first project is going to be to reassert Ohio State's dominance up front. So they signed two of the top three defensive linemen in the 2021 recruiting class, uh, TJ Tulumalu and Jack Sawyer. Along with that duo, they brought back tackles. Uh, They brought in tackles Mike Hall and a top 200 prospect, Tyreek Williams, um, who was the team's returning stack leader with five last year. They've also got four of the nation's top 130 coming into established depth. So they're really young up front, but it's all talented four and five star guys. Linebackers totally up for grabs. Uh, They got a couple of veteran players who are trying to earn consistent snaps. CJ Hicks was the top player in the class, and he will compete for playing time. Um, but in uh, that linebacker room, really looking for some consistent production In the secondary, the roster was a touch light after a couple of transfers out, but most notably they lost Ryan Watts to Texas and Savion Wells to LSU. Cameron Brown is expected to be the leader at cornerback, but, um, he has a lot of injury history that if he goes down again, who knows who's taking the lead in that backfield. Um, they've got a new nickel in Tanner McAllister. Um, who's following Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State to Ohio State. And they might not be able to win a championship, but uh, it might not be a championship caliber defense, I mean, but they're definitely going to be have the most talented defense in the conference just from a pure recruiting ranking standpoint. So they're hoping that with the right scheme and with being a little bit more unpredictable on that front with Jim Knowles coming in, it's going to even out and finally get that talent to play up to its potential. Now they're floor and ceiling. Vegas has their over under at 10 and a half. And I think all three of us agree in our projections. We all have them winning the division to do that. You have to go over 10 and a half. Um, Mitch <laughs> wrote they're going 12 and zero and going straight to the ship, book it. Maybe they find a way to stub their toe against Penn state or on the road against Michigan. But uh, as Mitch writes, he doubts it. So as Mitch put it, their danger zone, They opened the season with five straight home games uh, before playing at Michigan State, then a bye, and then returning home to Iowa. So now the one thing I will say about Ohio State is they probably have the toughest possible schedule. If you're just mapping out like what would be the hardest schedule we could possibly make and just be still realistic, I think Ohio State got it this year. They play Notre Dame to open the season, of course, the game that we ranked as our most anticipated non-conference matchup. Mm-hmm. They, their crossover games are wisconsin iowa and looking for their third one here northwestern obviously northwestern doesn't present that big of a challenge but <laughs> Iowa's was always going to be a tough team they've given the buckeyes fits in the past wisconsin is always going to have a tough matchup problem with the style that they play both of those games are at home though and i think that's the comfort that you can take as an ohio state fan all of your tough games save michigan state are and Penn State are at home. So get over the hump. Obviously, Penn State's going to be a whiteout situation the week after they play Iowa at home, but get over the hump in those two, and then you're cruising until you host Michigan in the last week of the season.
1: Yes, I mean, if we don't talk about these guys anymore, Joe's going to get mad at us. So, um, I mean, is this like, are we talking best team of all time? I'm just kidding. Um, but Maybe the best offense of all time. This could I, be the I, best I offense of think, all time. That, I don't that's think possible. that's
0: out of the question. I think, I mean, pick your poison, right? Like, if you cover Jackson Smith and Jigbo with two or three guys, then Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to get you, or one of their other five-star pro- uh, wide receivers is going to get you. I think from a talent perspective, you could – look at this offense like in a few years when they're all in the NFL, you could look at this offense and maybe last year's offense too, just saying like wow, that that is from a pure talent perspective, just one of the best we've ever seen, and maybe on par with like when you look back at some of those old
1: Miami teams or old USC teams or old um, or Alabama. Alabama from a couple of years yeah. ago yeah. Alabama
0: from a couple of years ago, sure.
1: yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this is a really good team. obviously, we all picked them to go undefeated. Um, I did say earlier, I think that game with Michigan is going to be close and I do stick with that, but I just think that has more to do with the fact that they've had such a tough season at that point, it's going to be an emotional game, but I think they find a way to get it over and, and, and get over the hump and finish undefeated. I, I think this is going to be a really good squad, you know, on defense. I love the Jim Knowles hire. I think he's a great play caller. I think he does a lot of things really well. They got the talent. It's just about making it do what it needs to do. And honestly, like you were saying earlier, if you're going to score 50 points a game, who cares if you give up 40? I mean, you could be the worst (laughs) defense in the country. And these guys are still probably going to find a way to get over the hump. So, um, yeah, is it going to make the rest of the Big Ten fans that are listening to this happy? No, because we're saying that Ohio State's amazing. But that's just kind of what you're competing with. You know, we're SEC fans, you know it doesn't make us feel good to talk about how Alabama is so good all the time, but like it is the truth, right? We're talking about which teams are the best. And right now you've got Ohio state and Alabama are probably outclassing the rest of the country by a pretty solid margin.
0: Yeah. And we'll have plenty of time to take a more microscoped look at Ohio state as we go throughout the year. Cause we're going to be <laughs> comparing them with the Alabamas, with the Georgia's with the other top, title contenders and we'll even maybe take a closer look at that right before the season. As we make our predictions, as I said, if you're asking me today to put some money on who wins the national championship for me, I'm putting that money on Ohio state and it's a good offense. I think it's a pretty good bet. I think getting through that conference slate unscathed is maybe even a pretty good bet. If you can find that one out there. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting year in Columbus. And I think Ryan day is finally going to get that monkey off his back of at least uh, if uh, the ball, the ball could obviously bounce the wrong way in the playoff, but I don't think you'll be looking at the end of the season saying it was Ryan day's fault that they didn't win a national championship. Because he's assembled the team. He's put them in the position to do that.
1: Yeah. And I think when you look at this, you're really thinking about, you know, in the past, the last couple times they've made it to the national championship stage. They just haven't been able to keep up. I don't think that's the case this year. I think even if they get there and they lose to, you know, maybe Alabama, um, I think it's going to be a lot closer a game than it has been in years past. I just, I think they finally have acquired what they need to and gotten the formula right to finally keep up with some of these guys. Absolutely. Well, a couple more teams to get through
0: in this division. Garrett, take us through the Penn State Nittany Lions, maybe a team that could put up one of the best fights to Ohio State.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, to talk about Penn State, I'm going to start with Charles Dickens. Uh, he once wrote, as one does. The best <laughs> of Times of It was the worst of times. Uh, a Tale of Two Cities is a really great way to describe how things are going at Penn State right now. You know, they've got big facility upgrades coming in. Drew Allers on campus. He's got plenty of light talking about the future of the quarterback position. You know, head coach James Franklin's been really good so far as the head man at Penn State. But, man, the sour taste in the Penn State fan base's mouth is going to be really hard to replace. They, they were ranked number four last year. They lose to Iowa in a bit of a heartbreaker. Nine overtime loss to Illinois. You get smoked by Iowa, Ohio State, UM, You know, UM, uh, you know Michigan State. It, just a really tough way to end a season for a school with big hopes, and they actually started to kind of get there too. Uh, It just it just fell apart in the last half of that season for him. And if they want to be among the Big Ten elite, they're gonna have to find a way to start closing out some of these deals. James Franklin has a lot to figure out for the direction of this program. And he's got a huge prove it year in front of him for the Nittany Lions. Uh, On offense, they're bringing back Sean Clifford. That should help them get the level of production they need to get going this year. He's familiar with the offensive system. I think I'd seen that this was the first year he's not learning a new offense, so that's pretty uh, nice for him. Huge. Um, And if you're looking at this, he's been pretty steady, right? Maybe not necessarily a world beater, but he's been steady. Uh, Last year, he completed 61%, 3,100 yards, 21 touchdowns. Those are good numbers. Okay, that's perfectly fine for a D1 quarterback. Uh, he needs to improve if they want to get back to competing at the highest level. Though uh, all signs point to that being possible, just need to see it happen. Uh, Jahan Dotson, he's going to be suiting up for the commodore uh, the Commanders this year, not the Commodores. Commanders, that would, been, that would have been crazy going to Vanderbilt. Um, no, but suiting up for the Commanders this year, uh, which is a huge gap in production for Penn State. Right, uh, last year he caught 91 balls for 1182 and 12 touchdowns. Uh, They're going to be looking to Parker Washington to fill that void. He was very good last year. He got 64 for over 800, and he's probably going to end up being that lead wide receiver this year, replacing that. They're also going to be looking to Keandre Lambert-Smith and the Western Kentucky transfer Mitchell Tinsley, who was just sensational for the Hilltoppers uh, to get things going for the pass attack. Uh, The offensive line is going to need to improve. They gave up way too many sacks, way too many quarterback pressures last season, and it is going to look for a couple of new faces to do that. It, it might be a good thing to kind of get a change of scenery in there. Uh, third-year tackle Olu Fashnu will start at left tackle, and they got a new pair of guards in Landon Tingwall and grad transfer from Cornell Hunter Norzod. Uh, Juice Scruggs is sliding over to center to pair with Caden Wallace at right tackle. Another all-name team guy. That's a right fantastic there. name. Yeah, Juice Scruggs at center. I I'm I'm not lining up against that guy um that's the only experience they're bringing back they were fine last year and i think they're going to kind of try to just wipe the slate clean and try to improve on performance this year uh penn state also has to run the ball more consistently this year noah kane left he's heading to baton rouge so the nittany lions are looking to five-star freshman nick singleton fellow freshman katron allen to come in and produce from day one in the backfield there's plenty of depth here But someone's going to have to step up and prove that there's more than just potential in this backfield. That's kind of the name of the game here for Penn State, right? There there is plenty of potential here. There's plenty of, okay, I see why that works on paper. Just show me, right? Show me that you can do it. Uh, On defense, it all starts with new defensive coordinator Manny Diaz. He's coming up from Miami to join Franklin's staff. Maybe he wasn't quite ready for the head coaching gig, but he gets a chance to keep this defense for the Nittany Lions as the strength of the team. He's going to be extremely thin at linebacker. They uh, they only bring back Curtis Jacobs. Uh, that's the only thing close to a proven commodity they're going to have in that linebacker room. They rolled down a safety, Jonathan Sutherland. He's going to play outside linebacker. His speed should help him get in position to make plays, but that's going to be an adjustment. Anytime you make a, uh, an adjustment from the safety to the linebacker level, you, you need to figure out the position. And then after that, it's just a bunch of guys who haven't proven anything, and they're going to need to step up, especially at that Mike spot to prove that they can have any success in that linebacker core. Um, they're also losing Arnold Ebicady. He was the best on the team at creating pressure in the backfield. Um, and that's going to be a huge loss for them as well. They do bring back P.J. Mustafa, uh, He's the defensive tackle. He's very good. Uh, and that should be really good in the middle there. Um, they're also bringing back plenty of talent on the back end. They return lots of experience of guys like Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, Jalen Reed. So they're not exactly working from scratch when you're talking about this defense, Um, but you are going to have to figure out some of those other pieces. One of those pieces is going to be Adisa Isaac. He's going to be back to rush the passer. He had a torn Achilles last year, took out his 2021, um, but he'll be back to kind of improve on what he's been doing. And they're also going to be looking to a committee of guys just – to kind of figure out how to get some success rushing the passer. They don't have a lot that's proven it, but they're going to try to figure out some ingredient to put next to Adisa a Isaac and, and get some rushing the passer. Uh, this unit needs to stay competitive to keep Penn State near the top of the Big Ten this year. If this unit cannot be competitive, I don't think they have the offense to overcome a bad defense. Uh, the over-under here, 8.5. This one's really tight for me, but I think they're just barely under an 8-4. and four. Uh, they have to play at Auburn in the non-conference. They go to Michigan. They get Ohio State and uh, Michigan State as well. I just think that you make, need to make a bigger leap than they're going to be able to make uh, to be able to do that. If they do jump up and do that, you know, I could see 10-2 and two as an option, but they could just as easily be 6-6 six and six and leave the Penn State fans wondering, hey, is Franklin's extension maybe a good idea? Um, their danger zone here? Week six through eight is brutal. Uh, They have to go to Ann Arbor to play Michigan, then they're back in Happy Valley to play Minnesota and Ohio State. Really hard to see anything better than losing two out of three of that group. Uh, You know, you'd hope if you're a fan of this team, you can find a way to grab two of those. But I mean, if you grab two of those, you're going to feel thrilled as a fan of the Nittany Lions.
0: Yeah, and I think you said it best when you were kind of hinting at. The offense, they're kind of the anti-Ohio state, right? Like, oh yeah, the the defense is the big question mark for Ohio State. And obviously, it's different scales on is it going to be an elite defense versus just a serviceable defense? It's the exact opposite for penn state. the The offense was really, really bad last year. Mm-hmm. They maxed out. They never scored in in their power five competition. They never scored more than thirty one points. That was the one time that they hit 30 points um, in Power 5 competition last year. It was in a road game at Maryland. You look through the rest of their Power 5 schedule, it's a whole lot of games in the teens and 20s. So, that's not winning football in 2022. You have to be able to score more than that. You can't win every game 16-10 to like they did against Wisconsin. That was... Obviously, they pulled that out, and they pulled out a 28-20 to game against Auburn, but that's not winning consistent football. And you're gonna have teams jump up and get you like Illinois did last year if you're re- trying to rely on holding teams under 20 points to beat them. So yeah, I mean, I think I'm a little higher. My my so I full disclosure, I have them going 10 and two this year when I mapped it out, which is higher than both you and Mitch. Right. And it's more of a correcting to the mean for the offense. I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last year, because it'd be almost impossible for it to be as bad as it was last year. So if you can just get some marked, somewhat optimistic improvement on offense, (laughs) if Sean Clifford can just be a little bit better, if he can take a little bit of a step forward, which obviously might be asking too much for him at this point (laughs) in his career. I don't know. I, I think you could see them managing that schedule pretty well like you said they have a tough crossover game in minnesota and uh they also play purdue and lost their northwestern from the other Mm -hmm. games in their division they have a road game at auburn who they beat last year but they now go down to jordan Hare stadium i don't know i see a lot of potential i see a lot of games that line up well for them um but they have to execute on offense. They can't oh. be as anemic as they were last year.
1: And, you know, and if you're thinking about, you know, put yourself in the shoes of an opposing defensive coordinator, if you want to stop their offense, what are you going to do? You're going to blanket, you know, their best receiver. And then you're just going to wait for them to fail. Basically. I mean, they, they had, you know, Dotson last year. He was fantastic, but he was kind of it on offense. They didn't really have anything else going for him. So, you know, they maybe will be able to run the ball a little bit better this year. They're going to have to, or they're going to be one dimensional. Can you get maybe Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley? Can they both stand up and be, you know, two really good options? Maybe neither of them as good as Dotson was last year, but two really good options that make it not just easy so that you can blanket one side of the field, shade a safety over, and then just rush the passer all day. Right. I think we've seen what we're going to see out of Clifford. I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to, you know, complete his 60 ish percent. He's going to score about 20 touchdowns and he's going to not make so many crazy mistakes that, you know, you have to go to a freshman before you're ready, but you need more options on your offense than what they have. I think they might have the pieces, but again, like I said, this is a prove it year. They have to prove that they can do something with the pieces they have, you know, they they have many Diaz coming in, he's on staff, you know, you're making an investment in this program, It's time to finally take that step and say, we can do this and not just keep saying, well, maybe in a couple of years when this quarterback's ready, or maybe in a couple of years when we get this class on campus, or maybe if we can just, you know, it's time to stop kind of wasting some of those really good players and it's time to start putting it together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley are not walking through that door. So got to figure it out with what you got. Um well, all right, let's bring it home, Garrett. Um, let's do it. one final team we've got. We're going to take it up to the Northeast to Big Ten country in New Jersey. And we're going to talk Ooh, about the Rutgers' Scarlet Knights. Garrett, I got to play a sound, man. Oh, yeah. Rutgers made it to their first bowl game since their first year in the Big Ten. And, okay, yes, it was on a technicality. Um, they were a replacement team. For the Texas Ana Maggies that uh, had to back out of the, uh, I can't remember what bowl they were in, Gator Bowl, because of but COVID complications, play. but they played, they played in a, bowl, a bowl, game. bowl game. So who cares if it's a technicality? <laughs> Greg Sciano has gotten them back to a bowl game in 2021. So he enters year three of his second stint in Piscataway. And ever since he showed back up in 2020, they've at least looked more competitive. I mean, they've kind of been a laughing stock. Um, since he left the first time, the first decade in the big 10 was tough. Um, but they've looked more competitive. They played tough games with Michigan. They played tough games with other teams in the conference. They've jumped up and gotten a few teams. Um, but that doesn't mean Chiano's getting complacent. He has, uh, really started tinkering this off season. I'm going to butcher this name on his new defensive coordinator, but it's Joe Harrismiak. Sure. Is it Harazmiak?
1: Um, I, don't, Harazmiak? I don't know. I Maybe. Be, I don't know. It's
0: Joe Joe's come in to uh, improve the defense (laughs) and he basically overhauled that entire defensive staff. Um, they're still trying to find out, um, what works and what's consistent, um, in that tough division, but just more and more, it seems like they're starting to put it together and, you know, is it going to translate to a season where they're actually bowl eligible? Maybe, maybe not, but they're interesting there is a reason to tune into their games if you're a fan of the Cross Scarlet Knights, and that is a huge, huge step up from where they were. Um, so Chiano tinkered with the offensive staff as well after 2021. There were several coaches that swapped positions, and a new wide receiver coach was brought in. But the biggest change is they just started clean slate, went scorched earth on their offensive line that wasn't getting it done. They brought in 11 new o to campus this offseason. They got <laughs> seven guys through the portal and four from uh, from high school recruiting. So they're literally just going with the old spray and pray to see One if of they can gotta One of them's got to work. At least, you know, I like the odds of finding five <laughs> that can be serviceable. Um, but those guys just really struggled to keep up with those elite edge rushers in the division last year. So clean slate. We're going to find, we're going to, just attack this by quantity and hope we can find <laughs> some new options at offensive line. At quarterback, Um, it's a really interesting situation. So Noah Verd- uh, Vedral, he started all 13 games for the Scarlet Knights last year. He's entering his sixth season of eligibility, but it's an open competition going into the fall. So <laughs> Evan Simon saw guys. We're really taking this seriously. I know we're laughing a little bit at Rutgers, but. Some of this stuff is just very interesting. Um, Evan Simon saw action in six games last year with mixed results. They're really high on redshirt freshman Gavin Wimsett. Uh, He's a four-star guy that they recruited in there. He enrolled a year early, and he just really wasn't ready last year. But he did get to see action in his four games that let him still redshirt. Um, There's no rush for them to name the starter, according to Shiano. And he hasn't ruled out splitting time. That's kind of par for the course for him. The Scarlet Knights had five quarterbacks see action in more than four games last year. So whoever's named the starter is not going to get 100% of the reps. Um, uh, Kyle Monaghi and Aaron Young uh, returned to lead the backfield. Uh, They were the number two and three options last year in the backfield they got to be more explosive though no of the, none of the top 5 rushers on Rutgers last year averaged more than 3.9 yards per carry Oof. um on the yeah it's not good um on the receiving end uh Taj Harris and uh Sean Ryan have both transferred in Taj Harris is a guy that looked really good at Syracuse with over 2000 yards and 10 touchdowns in his career and Sean Ryan was also brought in from West Virginia they're going to lead the receiving room Um, But there's also a ton of guys. They like to rotate them in and out um, in their up-tempo style. And another place that they've just got to get more big plays. There was only nine receiving touchdowns spread across the entire offense last year. So need some more production, need some more explosiveness uh, for this offensive identity to really click in Piscataway. Over on the defensive side of the ball, um, they really want to center around what they call VTT, violence technique and toughness. And that is very high T. Props to them. Uh, they want to pri- prioritize the D-line. Uh, last year's sack leader was Muhammad Torrey, and he's going to miss this year with surgery, but Aaron Lewis is looking to step up and fill some of that production. It has to be more than just him, though. Um, I'm excited just looking over the roster to see uh, Keontae Hamilton. He's a guy that's 6'4", 270, and is also a wrestler for the Scarlet Knights, so could really uh, tear some guys up on the inside of that defensive line. At linebacker, they experienced the most loss from last year to this year on the defensive side of the ball. So senior Deion Jennings was awarded the most improved defensive player. He's going to need to step up and be big. I'm really excited to see him pair with uh, Tyreen Powell. He's a six foot five, 235-pound sophomore. That's like SEC size at the linebacker position. So if he can get around and he can hold his own in coverage, that's a scary man coming at you. They also mm-hmm. signed a four-star in Anthony Johnson. He's looking like he's going to get a ton of playing time. But the cream of the crop on the defensive side of the ball is the secondary for Rutgers. And when you're in a division with Ohio State and other teams that want to air it out like they do, that's a good place to have strength. Um, They're led by safety Avery Young, who's uh, he moved to safety last year from corner. And he ranked third in the Big Ten, allowing a catch only every 41.5 snaps that he was in coverage. Um, Christian Itzian is also kind of a Havoc player. He makes plays in the backfield. He had four interceptions a couple years ago. Also look out for Max Melton, who just really quietly had a really good season at cornerback last year. He could be a really big impact guy um, as he moves into his junior season. Now, floor ceiling, their Vegas over-under is right at four. And goodness, as it's always going to be for Rutgers, it's a tough schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be in that over underline is just always going to be down there in that range because of who they have to play every single year. And so those divisions maybe get mixed up. You're not going to see any relief from that. If you're a Rutgers fan, Rutgers did beat the over underline last season. I think it was down around two and a half and they ended the season with five wins. Um, but this year it could be really tough to do. If the quarterback in O line play gets a lot better, they could maybe qualify for a bowl on their own merit, but if not, um, Vegas probably only has them as the spread favorite in two games this mm. year. If you're just looking at a preseason, going to need a lot of upsets to get where they want to be. Wagner and At Temple are probably the only two that they'll be favored to win. So they're danger zone. The danger zone. Boston College on the road to open the year. Could be a huge tone setting game, right? If they want to win that game, they, or if they want to go to a bowl on their own merit and be six and six, they have to win that game against Boston College. The back half of the schedule, weeks nine through 12, it's at Minnesota, at home against Michigan, at Michigan State, at home against Penn State. Mm. It's tough. And if you want to be bowl eligible, if you're Rutgers, you got to do it early. It's another one of those teams that you got to knock that out of the way and then just see what happens, right? Um, I'm a little optimistic. I think it's just interesting. I really like Greg Ciano. Um, I like the, what he's doing up there at Rutgers. I like the attitude he's bringing back to that program. And they've had some success with it. They're not satisfied with that. It took a long time to build him up the first time he was there. So I think I have them right at three or four wins, just kind of teetering on that. I do have them coming in on the back end of this division bringing up the rear but I still think you're gonna see a lot of improvement I think sometimes you got to look at what they actually look like versus the actual results on the field and that's gonna be key for Rutgers this year can they put it all together maybe but it's definitely gonna be an uphill battle as it always is
1: yeah man I mean (sighs) uh Yeah, you put them in any other division in football, you know, besides the SEC West maybe, and and they might actually do okay. They could string together some wins, but yeah, you're right. It's just such a tough schedule and not doing a lot of favors. And again, this is another team where, you know, they're maybe in the bottom tier of this division, but they're going to look better, I think. I think they're going to look better. I think they're going to look like a better team than they were last year. I just don't know that that translates to wins. You know, it's not always going to show up in the win-loss column. It's not... You know, a lot of people like to say that your record defines you. I don't think that that's true. I don't think your record is entirely who you are. And I think that's going to be the case for Rutgers this year. They're going to have a really tough time winning games. You know, that Boston College game to open the year, I think is going to, like you were saying, it's a tone set game. If they want to make a bowl game, Win against Boston College and get a little momentum on your side, right? I think momentum's huge in college football. Get some momentum on your side, maybe win a couple games you're not supposed to. You know, I got them at four and eight, and I think that that you know line is pretty much perfect. You know, I, I just I don't see them getting to a bowl game, but I don't think that means the program's going in the wrong direction. You know, I think that they can they can continue to make some progress. It's just going to be a long climb to get to where they want to be in that division. Yeah took them five years to
0: get bowl eligible the first time Greg Schiano was in charge. But after mm-hmm. they made it the first time, just kids go look up their history in the Big East and in the American. It was pretty good, pretty consistently throughout the 2000s and the beginning part of the 2010s. But yeah. Garrett, as we wrap up this episode, um, let me go over our consensus rankings for the Big Ten East really quickly. So we all three picked Ohio State to win the division. Um, Our consensus rankings from there go Michigan at number two, Michigan State in third, Penn State at fourth, Maryland in fifth, Indiana at sixth, and Rutgers bringing up the rear.
1: Any last thoughts on this division before we sign off and call it a night? Man, I'm just excited to watch games in this division. There's so many good teams. You know, it's really one of those divisions where you don't just have a true bottom feeder. You know, you think the Vanderbilt's, the Kansas of the world. You know, if Rutgers is your bottom feeder, then you got a pretty good division. So I'm excited to watch this one, especially in those kind of across the you know conference games when they go to play teams like Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, things like that. It's going to be a fun season in the Big Ten.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, right in. Uh, three at at gmail.com let us know your thoughts let us know if you have any questions as we inch closer to that amazing opening weekend of the season and let us know on social media as well make sure you're following on social media at three tech on twitter and instagram and subscribe and give us a five-star review if you like the show and as always like i love to say tell a friend we are wanting to grow our family we're wanting to grow our community bring as many people into this as possible that love college football and want to talk about it. So without anything else to say for that man over there, Mr. Garrett Turney, I am Trey Reeves and we will see you guys next time. See ya.